Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casazza, ready to welcome in Chris Anderson. Chris, we don't have a game this weekend. Probably wouldn't have a game this weekend one way or another, by the way. The Big 12 is slowly falling off right now. It's pretty troublesome news this week. Uh, it's never a good sign when um, the team you just got done playing, that you just welcomed into your stadium and into your town, uh, has so many positive cases that they have to shut down all activities. And then the team that you're going to bring to town in a week, their head coach tests positive, which again, we, like one person tests positive. Sometimes it just can't, you know, you can't help it. There's ways we've all known people that have kind of gotten it, but they thought they did well. They thought they were, you know, staying away from people and taking all the precautions, but just the way one, it's just less miles, and he continued to do less miles things, like going on his own live show with other people and saying, yeah, I feel sick, ha ha, ha ha, and then testing positive for it and then acting like nothing was wrong and that he's going to be in Morgantown in a week. It's, yikes. It's just not a good sign. I don't know where to begin with that, so I'm going to begin with the obvious. I'm not in the medical field, I don't know nearly enough about these things to have strong opinions or to even get that fired up about it. I do know that <laughs> they're supposed to be testing three times a week. And I'm wondering how a guy could test during that schedule, which is what would we say? We think it's what Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, right? We, we know it's Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Wednesday is before Thursday. So maybe they don't have those results back the next day when he goes on the radio. Maybe he can try to it between Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know. Again, not medical fields, so that's fine. Um, but when you say, I, I have a cold, I'm definitely probable for the upcoming game, and then you come out and say, I got it, but I don't have symptoms, and I'm going to be holding the clipboard uh, in 10 days' time. Uh, <laughs> this is weird. I get, I get, I guess that it's possible he could be over it. Maybe he's not symptomatic or anything like that. There's a whole bunch of ways he could test negative before insisting right now is, is, is a bad thing. And again, maybe they're not insisting, but just seeing that the message out of this should be, Hey, our head coach is positive. Let's get him off his feet and make sure he can be back on track sooner than later this season. And let's keep all of our players safe, which they did. That's what they're doing. They're doing everything virtual with miles for a while. But like, do you have to have such a show of faith with your football program at Kansas that less miles has to be out in front of everything moving forward. Maybe I guess they did. They did buy in less miles theory, but like insisting that he's going to be at the game is, is kind of a strange thing right now. Cause we don't know who knows. Maybe he's fine. It just seems like the wrong message and saying that he's not showing any symptoms right now, or is kind of, <laughs> kind of uneven when he says he is getting sick on the radio the night before. And just reminds me again that like, you can't trust these people. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that they're liars or whatever, but like, I'm just naturally suspicious. None of them have earned the benefit of the doubt with me for years and years of this stuff, especially through these things here. Like, and you're just seeing one thing that's really curious. Some schools are just saying we're not going to do anything on test numbers in our sports. And that other schools just stopped doing it to no attention at all. Like, there's schools that I was watching regularly to see what their numbers were because they were on the schedule or I don't know, in my daily orbit. And I haven't seen numbers in them forever because they're either not releasing them or just stop doing it to no attention. It's it's very strange. And again, you're bookended now by two bad stories of your West Virginia. And I don't know, would, do they owe some assurances here to say, hey, zero positives out of 
what is it, 150 tests in football. I don't know. I just This is such a strange situation. There's no script for it, but th- there's got to be some sort of dialogue. Well, first, uh, and we, we talked about this before the year, that there needed to be a third party involved because we did not trust these people. It, and not just a third party, like as in a doctor uh, that's not affiliated with a football team, but somebody that's not affiliated with a school, period, because the pressure would be on them. There, there would be too much pressure on them to kind of clear guys sooner than they should be or hide things or whatever. And, you know, we caught it. We said this would happen. We said this was a concern and there should have been a, a, a whole nother entity that handled all this. But of course that would involve, you know, competent leaders in the world of college football, that these, these conferences work together that the teams work together, the schools work together, the conferences work together, the NCAA works together. And we saw that, obviously, that wasn't happening over the course of the sec- last six months. But specifically about this, about Les Miles in Kansas, and I, I think you mentioned it on Twitter. I think it was, um, if you're Shane Lyons, what, like, oh. <laughs> like, are you just like, no, you, you do not get on that plane from Lawrence until we physically see third-party testing of everyone on your team, like how did how do you let this happen? Like, uh, what safeguards can he take? There, there has to be some sort of an oversight mechanism here. You can't leave it up to Kansas. You can't, and I'm I'm confident that Kansas wouldn't want to leave it up to West Virginia, and the Big Twelve doesn't want, you know, a gentleman's agreement governing this. So. I, I would assume that the Big 12 has something here. Trouble is, there's been no parameters for this stuff. And I think it's tricky, too, because while we do want definitives, if then stuff, if your head coach is positive, then he's not coaching within 15 days. The truth is that, like, it does seem like you can get over this quickly. Quickly is relative. Uh, but it does seem that it's not an automatic 15 days on the side. So could he produce a string of negative tests before he gets in that plane Friday. Yeah. That's obviously what, what Kansas is going for here, too. If you are, never mind Shane Lyons, if you're Gordon Gee, if you're Clay Marsh, if you're Jim Justice, what level of assurance do you need? You know what I mean? That's what it is here. And I think that can't be from Jeff Long or Les Miles or whomever the president or chancellor is there, too. It's got to be from somebody with a, a whole bunch of letters after their name that you can trust in this stuff. And honestly, I prefer that person didn't work at Kansas. Um, if the big 12 would have somebody to do that, it'd be really smart for situations like this. So does that mean that somebody advised Baylor to shut down at Baylor or in Waco or in Texas or in the big 12? Is it a third party? Is it their AD or president? I don't know. Um, a lot of transparency needed and stuff like that, how they're making these decisions. But if I'm Shane Lyons, again, I want, I want, what does he have to do? to be on the sideline. That's step one. I want to know what the parameters are. And then I want triple level authentication. <laughs> like, like, like I'm signing into my email and I have to send myself a text and I have to put my thumb on the screen and everything. Right. I want that type of security, that type of assurances to know that, yeah, those parameters he's met. And these are the people who say he's met it because I'm bringing 25% of my fans back for the first time. Right. Yep. Not that it's not that it's not important when you're having 976 fans, but when you're bringing 15,000 people in, because the coast is is clear enough to do that, you can't let some soup cans from Lawrence, Kansas, come down and screw it up for you. You can't. 
Um, so I want I want to make sure that my my house is in order as best as it can, but I want to make sure that my guests are not going to make a mess. And I don't know how you do that, but I would be on the phone this morning and trying to figure out, hey, wish him well. Would love to see him. He's a character. He's a he's a draw. He's a reason people are going to watch. I get it. But how does he get on that plane, and how do we make sure that he's checked every box? I don't know. I mean, again, it, it can't be a gentleman's agreement. It can't. Um, but do you here? As I say, I'm trying to think how to say this. What my biggest concern, I guess, would be how, as for if you're from West, if you're on West Virginia side, one, I would try to make sure you, uh, like you mentioned, multiple negative tests before he ever even thinks about it. Two, um, what about the team? You know, how, how oh. much it has, how much has he been around them? How much has he been? Obviously coaches are around them. So we got to check the team. They got to be on that. Um, do they play this weekend? No, they have a bye. They have a bye week as well. So, right? Yeah. No, they, they have week. an open week. They have, <laughs> uh, they have an open week this week as well. So, I think to be honest, maybe they should be pausing things a little bit and and, and get a test back before they kind of keep going on with their week. But I don't know. I don't want to dictate what other people do it's just it's concerning like you like i said with with the sandwich part of it with baylor last week kansas coming up and both of them having issues right now and i think you know with kansas it's in a tough spot because this is the bye week that lines up between those two teams like tomorrow you know saturday uh that's the one that lines up they don't have another one that lines up later in the year so if they need to delay that, then we're going to be moving multiple people. And West Virginia is not going to want to – you're in that tough spot where you're not going to want to delay things and try to move six other games around to make a West Virginia-Kansas game happen. But you also don't want Kansas showing up and infecting half your team when you've been doing so well with COVID protocols. Uh, I mean, we're one positive test for a scholarship player in three months for West Virginia – and, you know, they got to deal with all this other stuff from the other teams that, that just can't seem to get it right. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you believe one positive test for a scholarship player? For one positive test for a scholarship or, player. Or do you think we know about one positive test for a scholarship player? I think there's one positive test for a scholarship player. I do think there's been more contract tracing than maybe they're leading on. I do think there's been – I do know there's been walk-ons because uh, Neil Brown admitted that uh, previously. That's what that's what he said wiped out Sean Martin that time uh, was that a, a preferred walk-on had tested positive. But I think maybe some of the guys that – have been out or just didn't play at times might have been under contact tracing obviously not guys that you're not seeing them on the sideline either but i think there's been some stuff that not all of it shared but i think they're certainly doing better than 99 percent of the schools out there i don't believe it <laughs> sorry i'm not i'm just i just i just don't believe it the it's not been Nowhere has been transparent. Here's here's my problem with this too, with everything at large. Um, and I think they've made something good out of a really bad situation in the Big Twelve and at West Virginia. And they've done by and large pretty well. I wouldn't let a couple of instances where things got out of bounds 
distort the whole picture, cancel the season or a game or anything like that. It's going to happen. We all knew that. You're going to have sidesteps and missteps, and you're going to have interruptions. We haven't really um, seen anything beyond what was predicted. But all these Power 5 schools are supposed to have amazing resources, and the conference is supposed to help them out. And you're supposed to um, you know, test a couple of times, and you're going to have antigens on Friday because the conference is going to hook you up. And we don't have an order of, of, of business or an order of function when your head coach tests positive. <laughs> like, like what happens? Like, I don't know. Is it, is it 10 days? Is it 15 days? Does he have to do these three things? Like, and even if they haven't, we don't know. It. I don't understand. Um, I don't think that I, I honestly think that results should be public, not names to people, but there's nothing wrong with saying, listen, when they, when they run positive tests, they have no problem telling us. Um, when the starting left tackle or left guard is out, he tweets about it. Um, when your stud defensive lineman in the recruiting class isn't playing, you have to ask about it to figure out what's going on. And there's there's a thorny issue there about privacy and things like that. And what's weird about the James Gamitter thing is that he violated his own FERPA, right, or his HIPAA, which he can do, right? If he says it, then it's public record. Yeah. They wouldn't have said anything about it. So the whole thing is really weird. I'm assuming that he's not in trouble because he put it out there. Um, I think that that would have been probably dismissed as he wasn't available. Uh, we hope to have him back next game or something like that. Um, it just, I guess the deeper we get into this, we see that there's still a lot of loose ends here. And maybe, maybe people like us are guilty of adding space there and making it bigger than they are. But maybe the other part of this is that, there are too many loose ends and that's not our fault for exploring things and trying to figure out and ask questions where maybe there's not enough answers, not enough information. And again, all this stuff is, is dotted with reminders about player privacy and health and things like that, to which you and I really struggled about, you know, we knew Friday the committer wasn't going to play because he had tested positive. What do we do? Because yeah. I think in some regard, there's something somewhat defamatory about, getting COVID and I think it makes it's a negative for a player like especially if it's just one player like what are you doing how did you get it you cost your team all this you know blood sweat and tears stuff right sweat equity and I don't know that reflects poorly on him where maybe it could have been something silly maybe maybe he went out to get baby formula and had a mask on and someone didn't it's not his fault so it, it's just it's such a thorny issue still and I, I just I wish it was perfect it's not and I don't want to get too upset because there are flaws and there are loose ends but Man, Chris, we're 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 seven or eight months into this now, and there's still issues here. Smaller ones, I get it, but there's still things that could be better, and there's still headlines like this, and there's still 14 minutes at the top of a podcast about something we spent way too much time talking about in March, April, and May. Well, where would you like to turn our conversation then, Mike? Because I, I, politics, poly- <laughs> that's the presidential debates or yeah, lack let's, thereof. Let's go there. Let's do this. Yeah. We we spent some time in the off week doing award winners. Uh-huh. Typically, you know, you break your season into three or four parts, thirds, quarters, depending on how you want to do it. And the schedule will give you a break somewhere and you can talk about, hey, what's happened? Let's let's take inventory of who's been good, what's been surprising. We did that. You can find our offense and defense awards for the MVP, the top newcomer, the breakthrough performer, the person who's poised to break through, and the most overlooked. I want to hit hit you with something impromptu here. Okay. Let's go survivor pool rules where you can't pick the same team more than once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's do that for these awards. Okay. 
we sit down in a couple weeks whenever the schedule gives us a break here. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's after three more games. Maybe it's uh, what's the next off week is the 21st of November. That's probably too far. But let's say we do this again after three or four more games. You can't pick who you've already picked. Offense and defense. Who is your top newcomer? So, wait. So, after the first game, I have to pick one. And then the second one, I have to pick another one. Here are the rules. You've already picked your offensive defense newcomer. You can't pick that person for the next time we do this. So if we do okay. this after after six games, ah, okay. who is your second addition? Again, let's start with top newcomer. On offense this time, you picked Zach Frazier. On defense, you picked Tony Fields. Can't do it. And round two, who would you pick? Hmm. Newcomer on offense. This is tough because I think, as I noted in the thing, really – who are we talking about here? Uh, Zach Frazier, Reese Smith, and Sam Brown, kind of. Um, the question is, do I believe that Reese Smith's going to increase his role? I mean, now that TJ Simmons is out of the doghouse, Reese Smith's you know, snaps went all the way down to one. Granted, it was the most important play of the game that he was in yeah. last week, but it was only one snap. Sam Brown started the first game and then was out of it and is reportedly just in a tough battle for backup snaps behind Sam James. So by the way, the backup doesn't play either. So it must be a heck right. of a battle. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, hmm. Cause after, out of that, I don't know where to go. So I guess it's, I, I guess I'm going to go um, Sam Brown if I can't pick Zach Frazier. Cause I think there's, a, there's a better chance for Sam Brown to kind of get his shot and, and make more of an impact. I'm with you. Can't believe that he's going to forget how to play football or the coaches are going to just ignore his talent, especially when they're just not making plays on the field. So I like that one. Wild card, for reasons I will not disclose, Garrett Green. Yeah. Moving along. Oh, to wait, these, wait, wait, to, wait, wait. Oh. What about Bryce Brand? If he's well, back after Texas, Texas Tech, so I guess he'll miss. If he's back for Texas Tech, I guess that means he's going to miss some of this next segment that you're talking about. But – well, that was my next one. We are going to go offense to defense because we picked them both. Oh, yeah. yeah it was offense only. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Have another cup of coffee. You'll get right here. <laughs> the, um, the ones on defense here, newcomers. Um, again, offense limited. Defense, a bunch of them are, are contributing already, which is kind of cool. And I think everything, everything there looks like it can get better in the next course of games. But there is Brand who hasn't played. He'll be eligible beginning the Texas Tech game. So, again, he'll count, I don't know, two or three games toward our next polling i guess um but again you have guys who haven't even played really like daryl porter david vincent ocoli um, on this edition that we just did your newcomer we already went over there um for defenses fields that's who i picked as well he won't really be a newcomer next time i guess he'll be halfway through his season so he'd still be new i guess but not as new i'm looking at guys who haven't played yet porter ocoli we mentioned brand Mesador. Mm, that's a good one. Quay Mays. Larger pool of players. Alonzo Adai would also count. Um, who do you take here? I mean, if we're going to count Adai, then that would be my guy. Um, if not, then we're talking Mesador, Mays, and Bryce Brand. And I would go Brand for two reasons but very related reasons one 
on defense, I think Besador is always kind of going to be overshadowed a little bit as a backup. I mean, he, he played well, but he still has only played an average of 17 snaps a game. So as well as he's played, it's still going to be limited. And it might get more limited. Um, and again, Quay Mays, 12 snaps a game. So limited there. When is Taj Austin coming back? That's supposed to be midseason, right? It's a really good question. Yeah. So it might be before you know we finish this next segment that we're talking about, and maybe that takes even more snaps from Mesidor and Mays here. So I, I think that might work against them. And then on the other, on the flip side, you got Bryce Brand, who was playing that bandit position and was supposed to be making an impact in fall camp, and that was when Cowan was healthy. And while Cowan has not technically been ruled out for longer than you know, the, the game that just passed. I, I have reason to believe that it might be longer, which means Brand might be getting more playing time and, and might be making a bigger impact. Bryce Brand is really, really good. That's what I was told in August. And I was like, oh, you mean like, before I could even answer, or finish my question, Bryce Brand is really, really good. So I think they have expectations for him to be a, a factor there. I think that's a smart pick there. Um, most overlooked. Hard time picking this one, to be honest with you. Because there's not a lot of guys who are overlooked because they're all playing about 80% of the snaps, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, you picked Tyke Smith, which is a really good one. I picked Josh Chandler because I don't want to mimic you. Uh, but I also think that like, he, he was pretty good last game and was better against Oklahoma State than he, than he probably graded out, I think. Didn't have a great day. But I also like there's so much attention on fields that we kind of overlook what Chandler does. And Chandler, I think, has probably got himself in better shape and plays better, more confident than it did last year. I don't know who it would be on this next one, on this next round, because – your, your most overlooked player, when they're playing people as many snaps as they are right now, it's kind of difficult to do. Um, part of me says that Jeff Pooler would be an interesting pick, that maybe he's a guy who does some good things later on in the season here, too. Been a little quiet already. He's never been a real big stats guy. He kind of gets you by just being there every snap and wearing on you and wearing on you and making some plays every now and then. But he's still kind of doing his job there. He's that that third guy next to the two stills, but that's still okay. Cause those two stills are good players. So there's nothing wrong with being third there, especially if you can push those guys. Um, and I think he's going to have to be a player who begins to be more disruptive and doesn't seed snaps to Mesador or Sean Martin, who's another guy we can talk about for top newcomer possibility later on. But um, it just seems like that pooler doesn't wow you, but then you look down and he's made some plays and he's played a ton of snaps and he's gotten you a good grade. Um, Kind of a plus defender against the run, too. Again, not, not terribly disruptive, but he doesn't kill things for you. Uh, I'm not sure we appreciate what he's done for the past, let's say, nine or ten games. So um, I think that maybe that continues, and he does some good stuff. But you just don't notice it. Yeah, he was a guy that I think when we went into the season last year, again, Taj Alston was somebody that the staff had talked about a ton all spring long, how great he was, all this, all this stuff, and, and he had deserved it. He played well. But – then it came time for the first game, and I think the week before the game, and and we broke the news that week that it was actually Pooler that was going to start because he had might not have gotten all the fanfare, but he had actually been the one playing mm-hmm. so well. And I so I think maybe when he's lined up with some of the other guys on that defensive line, when, when you are lined up next to Darius and Dante Stills and they're doing everything that they're doing, you're going to get forgotten sometimes. But he compliments them very well and he plays extremely hard and and he's smarter than I think most people give defensive linemen credit for. There was a play last game where 
his man was basically letting him go. They were Baylor was trying to run a screen pass to the left, and he started pushing up on his t- on the tackle. Tackle kind of blocked him like they're supposed to do. You, you fake block for a second, then act like you got beat. And Pooler sniffed that out, stopped his pass rush, turned, and then they hit the receiver coming in for the screen, the the little tunnel screen, and Pooler just creamed him for like a four-yard loss. It was such a good play, such mm-hmm. a good play. And and those are the ones that, yeah, it's going to say tackle for loss, but I think those, those get forgotten sometimes because it was such a smart play. So you agree. I think yeah, I think that's a really good pick. I, I'm not sure. I, I would go him. Um, I I don't know if I can really put Dante Stills. I mean, for the, all the reasons that I picked Dante <laughs> Stills of my breakout performer of the next, um, or not, or boys for something big in the next section. Um, maybe that's the reasons that he's overlooked because he doesn't have the counting stats. He really doesn't. It, it, right. Other than the three and a half tackles for loss, the stats aren't there yet the grades and what he's doing are among the best in the big 12. So maybe it comes together and he gets stats and, uh, but again, I don't, can't call him overlooked, I guess. Sure. Breakout performer so far, you picked Alonzo a die. No arguing that one. Um, I picked X three low just because I think that, and he's done well with what you give him. And that's, that's probably about the most you can ask him. He's in a tough spot because he plays special teams, which are kind of unheralded. And then he's got Chandler in front of him, who I think is doing an okay job. You picked a die because he's completely erased any concern you had about free safety. Remember, they were worried about not having Kerry Martin there. We didn't know if, if a die would be a corner, a nickel, never mind a starting free safety who's made some really good plays against the run in the past and on special teams, too. Um, fast forward now, several weeks from here, who has broken out either across the course of the season that maybe isn't as obvious right now or has just done so in the next couple of weeks or games? Does Drayshon Miller become the next Rizul Douglas, basically? Could be. Could be. I, I think that's where I'm going here. Um, I like that pick. You mentioned him and yours. Um, he, he's really coming together. We talked about it after the last game. He was a four-star recruit for a reason. He was recruited by the national cha- eventual national champions in LSU for a reason. Uh, West Virginia wanted to flip him for a reason. Uh, he is extremely talented. Uh, it, it was unfortunate circumstances last year when he got hurt, and I think a lot of people forgot him. So... Uh, first couple games, you know, didn't get a lot of, he, he didn't get a lot of action. So I think people didn't think much of him. You know, Eastern Kentucky wasn't exactly a passing offense. Oklahoma State was playing it safe because they had the freshman quarterback. And then Baylor tried to throw it a little more, and Miller looks great. Um, so I think once we get into more games with more passing teams and more aggressive quarterbacks and offenses, you're going to see him put to the test more. And I, he, he has the talent to answer that. Yeah, I kind of like it. I picked him for poise for something big, which I'll get to in a second. But um, I want to go Mesador here. He's highly productive in his snaps. I'd like Miller. I think it's a good pick. But again, I think that that defensive line is is off to something. And if he can sneak in, just make the most of his action, similar to low, like just what what they give you, do something with. But I could see him. I could see him pushing for more snaps. And what was interesting to me was he was playing with both stills as during that game, which means I like him as a pass rusher, situational guy. It's not just he's the number two and you put him in when the other guys are out, you find a way to get your best defensive line in the field. And he does it. Um, he's fast too. I don't know if he knows exactly what he's doing right now, but he was doing defensive end stuff, a defensive tackle, which is kind of cool because sometimes those guards can't do it when you're big and quick, like he is, but then they moved him out to end a lot against Baylor, which means that they like something there. So there's, there's a lot of potential there too. So you pick Miller. I pick Mesador. 
uh, we completely skipped offense for both of these. So let's 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 rewind a little bit here. Let's go to uh, most overlooked on offense. Hmm. You went with Chase Barrett. I went with Alex Sinkfield. Who is going to be playing well overlooked on offense the next time we do this? Uh, maybe TJ Simmons some more. I think, uh, again, suspended for the first game, still in the doghouse for the second game. I, I think that's become abundantly clear. Uh, you know, Reese Smith was, was still listed as a starter. And then Simmons kind of came in, and by the second half, it was almost all Simmons. And then in the third game, it was all Simmons. And I think he's still going to be a reliable guy over the middle for you. He's going to make some some big third down catches, and he's going to be a great blocker. Uh, he has done well with blocking his whole time that he's been here. And I, I think the more time he gets out there, the more you're going to see it. Yeah, uh, th- this was hard again. They're not playing a lot of people, so it's hard to do it. I'm going to go outlier here. I'm going to go Brandon Yates. I think that we can get into what's going on with the offensive line a little bit here, but I just have a reason to believe that he's going to be out there playing a tackle, probably left tackle, I'm guessing. Um, but he's apparently overtaken Junior Zebu, uh, who was in uniform and just didn't play. So there's probably an indication where they're let, going there. And again, the people who told me that Bryce Brand is really good, they kind of thought that Yates would start because they figured this is a guy who hasn't had any of the the preseason, the preparatory stuff in two years that you would like him to have, but he's still right there. And boy, if he can grow during games, they'll have something. Maybe they didn't want that to happen so much early on and discourage him. He might have gotten to that point right now where it's time to go with him. So that's probably a guy who I think is going to be overlooked. Probably not going to wow you. He's not going to be McKivitz, but he could be just a a serviceable player uh, on offense. Good offensive breakout. Uh, I picked Mike Brown. You picked Letty Brown. Really, no arguing those there. Um, I'm going to go big into Winston Wright stock now. The way they've been using him is good. I didn't like the targets and the numbers against Baylor, but I'm sure the Baylor didn't like what they saw about him running through and around Oklahoma State's defenders. Um, I think that this is a guy who is going to get vertical on some stuff, and they're going to start to give him touches in a bunch of different ways he's going to be comfortable with, too. I don't think this is merely a guy who's going to, run drag routes and try to go north. I think they're going to try to point him north at the snap and see if he can do stuff. That's how he pretty much scored against Oklahoma State. I know it's a 70-yard catch and run, but it wasn't like he caught a screen and ran away from people. He caught it on the run and ran. And for the millionth time, Jared Parker, short receivers, inside guys, he just got a way of getting them schemed up. And and you can watch right now, it's just a much better runner when it comes to routes. Some of that is obviously tricky inside, too. Don't get me wrong there, but the offensive coordinator has signs on just winning those matchups in the slot. And if you can talk to the head coach and call in those plays, right. Could be a guy that gets you a lot of big plays and they need them for sure. I'm going to, I'll take the easy route and just take your, your last pick and make it this pick here, Brandon Yates. Um, for all the reasons okay. you mentioned, I think he was, he was solid last game. I mean, are we talking like amazing left tackle? Like you said, uh, going to be the next Colt McKivitz, not, not this year, uh, maybe next year in limited snaps against, uh, Eastern Kentucky, he was very good. Uh, he was solid against Baylor. And as you mentioned, hasn't had a preseason yet. Last year, he didn't get there till like into, into fall camp, yet the staff was still talking about him as one of the standouts of scout team. So they like him. He's performed well. I think he's he's going to solidify himself as the starting left tackle. Let's take the offense good to poise for something big. I picked, I picked a Lenny Brown, which may not make sense because he's been the MVP so far. But 
he's getting hit really early in plays. I know his yards after contact stat is impressive, but imagine if he wasn't getting hit early in plays. If they figure out the offensive line and if the passing game encourages defenders out of the box, if play action fools anybody, even marginally, this is a, just a chance that he has space. He doesn't have to do as much work. That yards per, yards per attempt after contact, um, that's not going to survive the whole season. He's not going to be getting you three, three and a half yards after contact. So it'd be pretty nice if they could do stuff where he didn't have to continually evade people. You picked Winston Wright. Um, I guess kind of a similar thing that I'm talking about there. Just, he's shown signs so far, and they realize that they got some juice there where maybe it's not working. And there's something about throwing it short and letting your guy do something with it than having to drop back and throw it deeper. You don't know if those guys are going to even catch it, never mind get open. Those are problems. Um, offensively now, who is poised for something big in a couple of weeks, which means he hasn't broken through, but maybe sometime soon that he's poised for something big. I'm going to pick a position. Tight end, I think ah. they, uh, you know, Neil Brown joked about it afterwards about them trying to get the ball to the tight ends. They threw it to him several times, both of them, Banks and O'Laughlin. And when you're struggling on offense and you're trying to find ways to move the ball, and and it, it wasn't happening again, it wasn't going deep. And then all of a sudden they come out scheming out several different formations and plays to get the ball to the tight end. Option one. Tight end was option one on all of the plays that they drew up. And I think you're going to continue to see that. Uh, you know, are they going to draw up 10 plays where the tight end is the uh, number one option? Probably not, but they're going to be a little more involved, I feel like. Um, both of them were. Hey, how much was this doghouse again? Game one, they were both suspended. Game two, no targets, no receptions. Game three, Boom. All of a sudden, I think, what was it, six or seven catches, seven or eight targets, something like that between the two of them. So I think that's going to continue to grow, especially if you're trying to find ways to get creative on offense. I had the exact same idea. Ha. Ha. Let's move on to defense. <laughs> uh, your pick for someone who is right now poised for something big was Dante Stills. I picked two because we never established the rules. Again, this is like the presidential debate. We're just going to make it up as we go along, it seems like. Um, I pick Brand, but since we're doing this on guys who have played and are poised for something big, Miller was my my other pick there, too. Um, defensively, again, a lot of candidates here because we talked about they are playing young people. They have some people who are coming back. Uh, I, hate, I hate, again, that you were on this, but I kind of feel like if they get Taj Austin back, it could be right around the time that we do this next time. And maybe yeah. he's played a game or a game and a half. Maybe he's shown some pop and some flair and you give a defensive end um, fresh legs out there. I just feel like he can contribute and do something. My only, my only thing is here that what do we know about Taj Austin? I don't know. He's played one and a half games um, and has obviously had some injury history there too. So it's poised is, is doing a lot of work here too, because who knows? Who knows if he comes back and who knows if he can stay on the field and be effective. But I like the idea of getting a veteran, big, strong, tall guy fresh in the second half of your schedule with the defensive line that, you know, is still pouring a lot of snaps into not a lot of people. So you talked about going young. You talked about guys coming back. I'm going to do neither of those things here. Okay. Um, going a little bit off the radar, but what about Jake Long? I, and let me explain myself here, because right now there are no there is no safety that that that's 
you know, backup safety that's playing. Like they're just not subbing those guys out. None of the spots except for last game. And they, I, I, they had to, I assume because of injury, uh, Shamahone came up limping and then Jake Long played the entire second half and, and a little bit of the first and played extremely well, at least according yeah. to, you know, the pro fo- football focus grades, he played extremely well. Um, he's a guy that's never really been just kind of thrust into the situation out in a game. Uh, he, he's bounced between cornerback and safety. He kind of got bigger, stronger. So then he, he found his home at safety, but I don't believe he's played very many snaps that meaningful defensive snaps throughout his career. So maybe he's somebody that hey, that was his opportunity and it's way, wow, he was actually pretty good. Maybe we can, spell some of these safeties uh, at times to give them a break. Maybe he plays a little more. Who knows how serious the Sean Mahone injury is. Maybe Jake Long's going to end up starting another game. Um, we'll see. But I, I think he is somebody that w- we keep talking about how there is no depth or they're, they're not, or at least they're not playing the depth. He's proven himself now. It, it, it was only a small sample size. So you, you got to keep that in mind, but uh, he was in a game situation, played extremely well might be getting a bigger chance as the season rolls on. I like it. It was promising. And again, that's a guy that tried to replace or to unseat as recently as putting Tay Mayo back there. And also, he's not a cat safety. He's a free safety. That's what he's been playing. And he played the cat when they needed him to because uh, they injured him at home. So, again, fifth-year guy, valuable. And, and we say this a bunch. He's one of their better athletes. He always has those elite marks and they do their off-season testing. Um for whatever reason, just hadn't been able to get on the field and put it together, but that was certainly promising. He was active, made some plays against the run in the past, too. like to see a good pick there. I like that one. Finally, uh, MVP. First part of the season, uh, we both picked Darius Stills on defense. I might have jinxed him with a stat that I produced, which is a pretty amazing stat. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to jinx it. But um, And then offensively, you picked Lady Brown. I picked Zach Frazier. Laugh at me, fine. I just think he's been valuable because of what they want him to do. But... Um, after six or seven games, who is the most valuable player on offense? You can't say Liddy Brown. I can't say Zach Frazier, right? Oh, oh, I, dang. I was, was going to say, Frazier. I was like, wait, I wanted, I wanted to just stick with my pick and just ride it out, but I forgot. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, survivor pool. Ooh. You go first because I, like I don't like my options right now. I'm going to go Sam James. Okay. I don't think he's been bad. I think he's drawn a good cornerback in one game who just got the better of him. Um, Rodarius Williams is all-conference NFL type of guy, and he went four for four on deep balls against Sam James. It happens. But they went outside to him a bunch against Baylor. He was productive. Um, I thought he had a pretty good game, and I just don't believe that he's going to vanish and evaporate, and I don't believe that they're going to come out and be as vanilla and as conservative on offense as they were in that second half. They have to be better passing the ball down the field. James is the best they have, and I don't believe that's going to vanish. If I'm wrong, we're going to have a very different conversation a couple weeks from now. But if you ask me who's the MVP halfway through the season, I think he's capable of putting up some big numbers. Do you know who the second most targeted player on the team is? Outside of Sam James. Sam James is number one. It's Winston Wright? Yep, Winston Wright. And, and, and that's where I'm going. I, I think, you know, he has the opportunity for all the reasons that I said, he's somebody that could break out. Uh, he, if I can't pick Letty Brown, he's somebody that I could see that 
maybe he ends up with a game like he had last game, six catches, 22 yards, and you're not thinking much of him. But he's going to break a couple more. That, that last 70-yard touchdown against Oklahoma State, that, that won't be his last one this season. Uh, I think he'll catch a couple more on the move and be able to change the kind of the momentum of a game with some huge play, whether it be on offense or on special teams or both. And so I think over the next course of the next three games, uh, you could see him kind of step into this role that ends up with a kick return for a touchdown, uh, 18 catches for, you know, 200 yards, 150, 200 yards, and a couple touchdowns as well. Defensively, we could probably just do this very quickly. We both pick stills. I'm assuming we're both going to pick fields. Are we? Oh. I think he's poised for something big. I think he's going to break through. I think he's going to be the most valuable player. I think he's the top newcomer. You know, I don't think he'd be overlooked, but I like everything I see about him. And all this comes to the caveat that he still doesn't really know what he's doing. The defense doesn't really know what he likes to do best. He was playing bandit last game. It was moving around um, outside linebacker, pass rush stuff. They didn't like that as much, I think, so they can kind of cross it off the list. I think they're going to have a pretty good idea what to do with him soon. And I, I just like what I see from the defensive line, and that's pretty good for a middle linebacker. I don't hate it. I, I thought about him for the MVP, so I think it's it's a it's a safe pick, Mike. It's a safe pick, mm. but it's the whoever plays Kansas in the Survivor Pool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with the other stills. Um, again, I think Dante is grading out as one of the top defensive players on this team, one of the top defensive players in the Big Twelve. He's a run stopper. Uh, we've seen him get into the backfield, but not record any sacks. Uh, when you do stuff like that over and over and over again, in the short term, maybe you're not racking up a bunch of, of, of counting numbers, but I think in the long term, if you continue to do it, those stats will come. And I think, you know, right now, uh, what I got here, no sacks, no interceptions, no forced fumbles, no fumble recoveries, but three and a half tackles for loss. And I think after the next three games, you could see him with, Four sacks, five sacks, uh, a couple forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and five tackles for loss, and and play exactly the same way he played in the first three games. Just end up getting, quote unquote, luckier w- with how the opposing team responds to his relentless pass rush and his ability to stop the run. So I think um, he is somebody that, if he continues doing what he's currently doing, the counting stats will follow and a little more recognition, uh, just because people like numbers. I like it. All right, so that's that's the present and the future. I just have one question I want to put out there. Uh-huh. We did not mention the starting quarterback. We mentioned the backup, the third-string quarterback. We did not mention Jared Dagey, and I think that that's concerning. We didn't mention him presently because he hasn't earned any one of these. We didn't mention him projecting forward because he hasn't earned that either, so that's that's curious to me. I want to stick with um with this idea about the Stillses and, and something that popped up during the week that I think about uh, because – on Saturday morning, you'll find the site a prediction, I guess, about what the 20 seniors on the roster will do. Remember, everybody's got a free year eligibility. Seniors aren't really seniors. They can come back if they want to. I don't think it's going to be an issue for West Virginia at all. I just, I don't think many of all, I don't think many, if any, are going to come back for a, another senior season. That's just what I, kind of the, the conclusion I arrived at when I went through this. So we can read that tomorrow morning. Um, the Stillses are interesting though, because Darius could come back, and if he doesn't come back, 
it reasons to it stands the reason that you might lose Dante too. They both could be NFL guys. Conversely, they could both come back too, which would be kind of a, an interesting story. But Brown said this this week that was that kind of caught my attention. And maybe you can explain to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But he says that what people think about Dante as a junior isn't really fair because he should be a redshirt sophomore. And what he's meaning is that when people look at this guy who's also Darius Still's brother and was a four-star guy, was a high-level recruit that a lot of schools wanted, and just hasn't put up the banger stats that you expect for a guy with that type of profile, well, you hold the fact that he's a junior against him if he was a redshirt sophomore and say, well, you know what, he's right on track. If he's a junior, you kind of say, well, he's a little bit behind. And it doesn't square with me unless that he's just doing a solid for a guy who has to constantly deal with being the younger brother. And maybe he's productive, but if he's not as productive as the other guy who has the same last name and who, who wasn't near the coveted level of recruit that he was, then maybe you just want to give this guy some cover. People forget Darius still shouldn't have played his true freshman season. He didn't play for the first five or six games of the year. Uh, he made one tackle as a true freshman. Dante was way more prepared and, and deserving to play as a true freshman. Dante's sophomore season was better than Darius's sophomore season. And Darius exploded as a junior. And we're talking about Dante is probably on track to, let's not say explode to a Darius level, but there's a lot of stuff you like. If, you, if he can repeat and project that performance against Baylor going forward, this probably takes care of itself. But where is Brown going with that? Is he just giving his guy cover? Uh, is he realistic here? It just seems like they're in the same situation, just one's a year older than the other. I'm with you. I think I, I got his point because I was going back to check the snap. He actually played more snaps than I thought. I, I thought he would play like, uh, you know, only in a handful of games and only a handful of snaps. He ended up, It wasn't much, but it was 200 snaps. So it's about 15 a game. I think somebody check my Messidor. math on that. He's yeah, Akeem Mesador, his freshman season. And get this, only 200, 210, 220 snaps. Um, tops on the team in grade from PFF, his mm-hmm. freshman season on the def- on the defensive side of the ball for Dante Stills. And yeah, and Dar- you're right. Darius Stills only played 79 snaps. He played even fewer snaps that freshman year. He absolutely should have redshirted. There is no reason he should have played that year. None. Um, it, it was, it, it was, I still remember when, when he went in, all I kept thinking about was Darian Howard. It, we were doing that again, but this is, I think I, I got his point. I do think some of it's kind of trying to protect him for, for the reasons I said that, you know, he doesn't have the counting stats. So I think people are like, Hey, what, this guy was an all American high school. Where, where's the all American in college? And he's playing very well. He's playing very well. And he should be a red shirt sophomore, I guess. But oh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's it, yeah, I, I, you're you're right. Darius still should be a redshirt junior before Dante still should be a redshirt sophomore. We'll we'll put it that way. But um, I get what he's trying to do. I do think it's a little bit protecting him, uh, trying to curb the criticism. Although I'm not aware of much criticism for Dante Stills. I think people are just you know looking looking for maybe there's people out there looking for stats. Maybe maybe it's criti- self criticism. Maybe it's it's Dante, you know, being hard on himself, and, and and the coach is trying to put it out there publicly so that that he realizes that you know he's still a young guy. Do you know who the number one nose was in 2017? Uh, was it Darian Howard? No, Lamont McDougal. Oh, also a true freshman who true had freshman. to play. <laughs> yes, 
Oh my goodness. Strange season. Uh, and again, like we say that Dante still shouldn't have played the, uh, maybe his freshman year. He was third in the team. He had three sacks, but their defensive line was him. It was Kenny Bigelow. Uh, Pooler was a sophomore who wasn't playing a whole lot. Zeke Rose was a senior. Um, Reese Donahue was a junior. You're not blowing guys away there. Like, like, the, like what's, what was so good about any of those guys that is named there that you couldn't play Dante stills. Like, Different positions, I get it, but Reese Donahue was a junior who was just kind of a guy for three years. He played pretty good as a senior, I thought. But, I mean, you're talking about their starting defensive line, and it's not like there are a whole bunch of dudes in front of him where he couldn't play. Jabril Robinson, I think, came over from Clemson. So it was him and Pooler at end, and it was Stills and, and Donahue at tackle. And you had Bigelow. Who else is their nose? Here's my point. It wasn't very deep. There was nothing wrong with playing Dante Stills. Also, we don't even know if they told him in recruiting either. I doubt that they they waved a carrot in about immediate playing time about Darius Stills. But Dante Stills, I, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of schools are saying, hey, you're good enough to play right away in the SEC, in the Big 12, you know, in the ACC. I'm sure the schools are saying that, and I, I don't have any problem with him playing. I just, it just seemed like a weird thing to me and probably a way to give him cover. Um we think we're going to see a different. Don- oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, I had a question, and I, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Was the four-game redshirt rule in, in effect in 2018? It wasn't in 2017, right? First year, I believe. Was 2018? Wasn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of it because, yeah. So 2018 was the first year. So 2017, that was Darius Stills. 2017, that's the perfect four game red shirt thing, but it wasn't available. Um, 2018, it was in effect. I just don't, I'm with you. I, I think with recruiting. Cause so Darius, his recruitment was, you know, he didn't have an offer, wanted to come to WV so bad. Rutgers offers, he commits there. And then West Virginia offers right away. Um, right after that flips him. No, no problems there. It, it wasn't, wasn't much of a, a challenge for West Virginia to get him. Dante, as you noted, all American, Penn State, Alabama, Ohio State, everybody in the everybody in the country, and yeah, you you can't be like, yeah, we really want you. We we need you to come here and redshirt for a year, and we'll play in a couple seasons. It's like, no, that doesn't work. So, I, I don't think you could have four game redshirt. You you literally couldn't four game redshirt rule Darius, and figuratively couldn't or not or quite not literally. Uh, red-shirted Dante because you had to tell him you could play. But he was the backup. Was... He was the backup tackle too. Like if not 220 yeah. snaps for a freshman playing D tackle is not nothing. That's no pretty good. I, I just seemed like a strange thing to me. So anyway, we, we think we're going to see a different Dante and we've projected going forward here. Team is in an open weekend here. I don't think they're going to spend a ton of time on Kansas this week or they, or they, I don't think it has been a ton of time on Kansas this week. I'm not sure that they're too worried about it next week. Kansas is Kansas after all, but there's enough negative and enough positive from the first three games and really the most most recently these these past two. Um, they're going to make some changes, I think. We can talk about the offensive line and with the mystery that, that happened this past week. We can talk about the direction of offense, the personnel on defense here. But first and 10, Kansas, October 17th, until the final gun that same day. Who or what do you think is different based on what we've seen so far and what they might have done this this first week without a game we'll circle back on offensive line in a minute because i'm very that was a strange situation strange comments strange reaction 
strange, we're just never mind bailing on all of it mm -hmm. uh, response. Um, let me start off with maybe one that you're not thinking of, but punter. I think punter's a place that you might see a change. Um, Neil Brown has been. To? Who are you talking to? Who's not thinking about the punter here? <laughs> I, Me? I know that's what you're thinking about, but because Neil Brown's been talking about how how poor the punting's been all season, uh, it was poor again against. And and then I think in the first game he said he really hoped he could get Colt McGee out there for some snaps, but they couldn't because West Virginia didn't punt in the second half. And then he talked about how bad the punting was in game two. He talked about how bad the punting was in game three. So again, I haven't heard anything, but when your head coach complains about the punting three games in a row and talks about how he wanted to get the backup punter some snaps in one of those games and there's bye week coming up, it's prime for a change. Um, I think you might at least have a competition, open competition during the open week. Um, other than that, offensive line, I'll let you start on that, but wide receiver I think is another spot that, that needs to get a look because Neil Brown former wide receiver, former wide receivers coach, Jared Parker, uh, former wide receiver, former wide receivers coach. These two are about as hard, as knowledgeable as they are. They're about as knowledgeable as you can be about wide receivers. They're also very hard on wide receivers. They expect the best because they know what can be the best. And it, again, based off Neil Brown's own comments, it doesn't sound like the guys that are getting a lot of the snaps right now are performing or doing what Neil Brown wants. He's talking a lot about certain guys not winning one-on-ones, not getting open, dropping passes. So I think you might see a little more rotation there or a little bit of competition from the guys that are behind them. Yeah. Well, punters, punters a good one because that that's going to get his attention every time, um, especially when it's a guy that he brought from Troy and they were, it, unless it was really bad, he was doing the low liner rugby kicks, which means that they're not too happy with his hang timers mechanics there. So I think that's going to be open for sure. Um, let me zigzag here for a second. I went over the 20 seniors and who's coming and who's going. Evan Staley is a senior and Tyler Sumter's a senior. Who kicks and punts next season? If those two leave, who kicks and punts? Or they get talked back into coming for another year because we might not have a kicker punter. I think you're more likely to see Staley return uh, just because of, of how long he's been in the program and he's had the job. Um, Unless they go into Casey Leg and say, listen, Leg's our guy. Thank you for your five years, Evan, but yeah. no thank you. And there's going to be conversations like that. I, I guarantee right. there are. Brown's, all, Brown's even said that, too. There's going to be some, some grown-up conversations that we're going to have to have. But McGee can only do one, right? <laughs> And leg leg may be the guy. I don't know, but they are recruiting the position for not this coming year, but the year after. So there's kind of a gap right now. Will they add to that in the recruiting class? Do they have walk-ons either on the fold right now? They have one guy, Danny Danny King, right? They yeah. seem to like. Um, I don't know how much they like him. They like him that much to say thank you, but no thank you, Evan Staley. Or do they go out and recruit somebody who it's probably hard to add an elite kicker right now in the recruiting class, or or like a. NLI worthy kicker in the recruiting class, and maybe you try to get one in the transfer circuit. But I think a lot of kickers who might want to kick again are probably going to stay put. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm trying to think of that. There aren't as many kickers, you know, last class, there were several that, that got offers, got options, not offers, but preferred walk on offers. Um, Colin Paris from down in Bluefield, Danny King was in. Um, and so I think 
this year, especially, especially with no camps and stuff. Because that kicking camp, that specialist camp that they hold, that's huge. We talk about how big camps are for recruiting and how important it is for the guys to get offers and all this. That kicking camp, that's that's like it. You know, you, you if you're not at that kicking camp, you're not probably not going to get an offer, uh, it, preferred walk-on or otherwise. Because uh, McGee was there, Danny King was there, Colin Paris was there, um, several other guys that they've targeted over the years. Evan Mathis has been there, Casey Legg was there, Evan Staley was there. All of these guys have been at that kicking camp, that specialist camp that West Virginia holds. So without that this season, yeah. and you and you getting two of them last year, I think they might, I don't want to say they'll take a full pass, but there's a, a zero chance that they're going to offer scholarship to anybody. And anybody that they offer a preferred walk-on spot to is probably going to be guys that, that they maybe have seen at that specialist camp before or from a trainer, a, ki- a kicking trainer, that they trust a lot. Colin Paris is a 2020 commit, right? Yeah. Okay. Curious. That's all. I guess, again, it's something I, I thought about going in thinking, boy, if they if they strike out or if they don't like what they have coming in, if they just don't think guys are going to be ready, um, psh, maybe talk one or both those guys into coming back. But, yeah, I think those, I think punters definitely won there. I think Bryce Ford, Wheaton better have a couple of good weeks. My, my only concern there, though, is – Who's who's the backup? We didn't see anybody play. We didn't see Isaiah Esdale play. We didn't see Sean Ryan play. Uh, Esdale just never seems to have been in the in this staff's good graces. And we're talking about guys who drop passes. And I've had a lot of people tell me that his hands are perfect for what he's supposed to do. And they moved him outside. Sean Ryan, um, it seems like he's having a hard time with things. Ollie Jennings probably has a chance right now to sneak in the window here and take some snaps, but. He is Sam James' backup, so not a lot there. So, like, how are they replacing Wheaton? I don't know, uh, unless Wheaton just has a really good couple of weeks. But the urgency there is going to be hard to to uh, inflict because the backups just haven't played. One here's name, your, yeah. Here's be, your snap. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. One name would be Devil Washington, by the way. Scout team player of the week, I believe. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And um, he could play like, I mean, you don't have to play him 50 snaps, but you don't have to worry about redshirting him. That'd be an interesting one, but I think you're right. Outside receiver. Certainly defensively. I- I'm curious what they do with like Thornton and Mesidor. Mesidor seems like an end now that had been Thornton, but Thornton, I believe was considered a tackle before. Um, can they get Jordan Jefferson in? It sounds like right now that they just don't have the snaps for him because Hey, keep Darius those in as much as possible and plug Koi Mason. Who's physically and, conditionally prepared to play. Like he's, he's not new to college football. He's played. Um, but Jordan Jefferson was a guy who started a game around this point last year and then just kind of fell off and didn't play a whole lot toward the end of the season, really barely played toward, but hadn't played the last two games, which is kind of a, a surprise, I think, but this is not a nine or deep, nine or 10 deep depth defensive line right now, but it could get better. Do you start Tonkery again at bandit did not go well. Bartlett played really well, but does it make a difference if you're going to play the part with a whole bunch? Don't know. And then what happens at safety? Uh, don't know about Mahone. Could be Jake Long. Um, that's more personnel, though. I think when you look at like what they do offensively, they just got to connect on play action and deep passes. Defensively, I don't really have a problem with what they're doing defensively. They've had different game plans pretty much every time, and I don't think any one of them has gone poorly. No, I, I think I think defense is good. I don't think you mess with it too much. Um, I think the bandit spot is curious because – 
we called it before the game. Dylan Tonkery, starting bandit, that, that should be the move. That might be the move. It ended up being the move, and it was the wrong move. Um, I thought, we, you know, my, my biggest issue with the way he had played, especially at Mike, was that he wasn't moving forward as the play started, and the bandit position kind of forces you to do that. But he still was kind of a non-factor. I think he had one one tackle uh, in the game, and, and Bartlett w- was in there a little bit more. So, I, I'm again. This is why I'm picking Bryce Brand as somebody that that's really going to have a breakout. You know, the second kind of stretch of the season. Oh, By the way, the, on the, the uh, receiver thing, uh, here's your backup snaps from your from your backups in the last game. I have one hand up. I'm going to be able to do one hand for most of them. I think. Uh, yeah, all of them. Uh, Ollie Jennings three, Isaiah Esdale three. Reese Smith one. That's it. Those are the bat. Those are the only three backup receivers that got on the field, and they got on the field for a combined seven snaps in a double overtime game. Did Estelle play offense? According to Pro Football Focus, he did. I don't recall seeing him. See, I thought he caught the pass that Jennings caught, and I had to look down and look back and watch it. So I know Jennings did get that catch. I thought it was Estelle, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, I guess he's jumped Estelle." I remember they're different different so, uh not, not different positions but like where where is he now is he inside is he outside i don't remember seeing him at all I so anyways think, not a lot I, well, I i think here because now that i think about it now that you say that previously i, I believe we had ali jennings is playing six snaps so six i think snaps. they accidentally sl- like split that between jennings and esdale by the way they have uh, jennings is number 19 esdale number nine according to their stuff. So I think maybe it was just literally the only backups were Allie Jennings with six snaps and Reese Smith with one. And Esdale did not see the field on offense. Yeah. By the way, poor run out for the great season that Scotty Young was having. <laughs> did they finally get that fixed? It's not like that, but the, the radio have been talking about how great he's been playing. Yeah. Which means they're not watching the game. They're just, they're looking at a stat sheet that's wrong. <laughs> like the guy's not even eligible, but he wears number six. X Low wears number six. Um, X Low is not number six on the on the roster. Uh, Young is number six in the roster. So people who are watching the game with their eyes are seeing X Low make plays and then go down and say, "Man, this Scotty Young is a high impact player." And no one's talking about Scotty Young and the impact he's making <laughs> as early in his season. Now, no one no one wrote a story about how Scotty Young is eligible. Yeah, correct. We didn't. <laughs> no, no, we did not. Um, speaking of uh, beginnings, Chris, breaking news from basketball. Hmm. Guys are making shots. Oh boy! Don't I know? You, you know how when we pre started the preview for the football season, and I said, "Stop telling me Kansas is not going to be dead last." I'll believe Kansas is not dead last in this league when Kansas is actually not dead last in this league. I will believe West Virginia is going to hit a bunch of shots when West Virginia actually hits a bunch of shots. Guys are making shots is to basketball what tight ends will be involved in the offense is to football. <laughs> we joked about this before. You couldn't make the Bob Huggins teleconference yesterday, excuse me, Zoom conference yesterday. And we kind of were like, eh, we could write the story now without yeah. having to even listen to it. Because I, I don't, I'm not going to make fun of Huggins here. And I think he'd have a laugh at me about this too. It's the same every year because it's the same every year. And I'm sure he doesn't like to do these things because what's he talking about? Workouts are very, um, uh, well, what's the word I'm thinking of? Formulaic, I guess. You're just running guys through drills and 
they've had a number of these players for a number of years right now. I'm not sure how different looks guys look better, but you know them so well that you're probably going to be extremely detailed in your critiques and things like that. So you're seeing from afar, very detailed analysis from the players and coaches. And there's not going to, what, what do you have to talk about right now? Nothing. Right. So this always falls into, we got a great group of guys. Chemistry is where it's supposed to be. They're excited to play. Um, we should be able to, score a little better this year and guys are making shots. The guys making shots right now are Taz Sherman and Sean McNeil, but also Jordan McBride, Jordan McBride, Jordan McCabe, Miles McBride. All the guards are making shots. It's going to make it hard to double team. And this is very interesting. The two guys inside, whoever they turn out to be. That's the one thing I took from this. I'll probably write about it. Obviously, Culver and Sheway are going to play together. But what do we spend a lot of time talking about last year? Could they play those two together and be effective offensively? Yes and no. Mostly it was a conversation because the results were so inconclusive. But now they have those two big guys. They also have Cottrell. They still have Osaboyan. And it sounds like no matter what, they're going to be perpetually two guys inside. It doesn't mean that the one of them will come off the floor every so often. But I think that, again, the crux of their attack on offense is going to be playing big with two big guys inside. Uh, I don't want to think about it because what what's going to happen here, Mike, is I'm going to try to do a detailed analysis of it, and I'm going to draw something up on the whiteboard, and all you're going to do is question uh, my drawings, make some jokes about how I draw things. Um, so I, I don't want to I don't want to think about it anymore. How do you think you did today, Chris? <laughs> uh. I don't know. Let me tell you, I hope Pro Football Focus uh, switches me out with Scotty Young. Gives me that grade. <laughs> so Saturday, I got a, uh, yeah, it was sort of a text that said, um, this is from somebody who, uh, you know who it is, but I'll just say it like that. It's, it's someone who's no longer here. Um, FYI, I really dig this Friday podcast. I got to say, Anderson does a much better job than I thought used to think that you guys were just recruiting people, but the X's and O's and the analysis is certainly something I enjoyed to listen to. Oh, okay. Great. There so, we go. Good for I you. I like it. Oh, oh, hey, Chris not, Anderson not done. used to suck, and now he's okay. All right. Not done. Not done. Oh, not no. done. Separate conversation. This one on Messenger. I can't believe how good Anderson is in the podcast. Yes! Oh. And I, and I say, well, I'm going to say that on Friday's podcast. I said that, and then my friend, so-and-so-on, said something similar, and he goes, I knew you were going to be good for your Gazette days, but Anderson is a shocker. He's legitimately <laughs> good. It's over. Oh, God. It's a good thing. He's I'm good. A humble person you know, Mike, because I won't bring that up again. Man of the people. <laughs> humble as the day is long. Chris yes. Anderson. Uh I had nothing else. I wanted to, I didn't want to do that at the beginning because I didn't want you to feel the pressure, but I wanted you to let you know that your words matter. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad you brought it up right after I said, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Just don't want to talk about basketball right now. <laughs> Perfect well, time. I am hopefully good. My name is Mike Zaza. We're going to wrap <laughs> it up here. I'm all out of sorts now. My script is off. This is where I used to throw it to you and you say something clever, Chris. Uh and I'm Chris Anderson, as humble as this podcast is long. This, this was a, a hefty <laughs> one, Mike, I'll tell you that. <laughs> for an off week, too. All right, well, then we'll wrap it up. That's all for this time. We will see you next time.